verse 58 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. And he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Now, this is my text. This is the phrase. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I want you to begin to meditate on that phrase, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And so the title of today's message is Abounding in the Work of the Lord. Are you abounding? That will be the question that goes with the message that you will need to answer today. And Lord willing, by the time you get to the end of the message, you should be able to answer that question for yourself. Am I abounding or did I decline this year? Or (laughs) let's use the word backslid. Did I backslide this year? You understand you can be sitting in a pew making every service and be backslid. You do understand that, don't you? The, the definition of backslid is the opposite of abounding. Abounding gives the ideal that you are passing boundaries. Uh, the way I think about it, and don't ask me why I think about this, because uh, I think of those, my mom likes old whiskey barrels. And, and people make decorations out of them, but they have iron rings around them. And, and, and so they're bound. And to abound would be to pass those or to break those bounds. And this, this is the ideal. Every year you should be doing more for God this year than you were last year. Now, I didn't say a lot more. Don't, don't bite off too big of pieces. What happens when you bite off too big of a piece, you'll become discouraged because you have set a goal that is unattainable. You're not able to attain that goal. Therefore, getting discouraged, the devil will bring disappointment, discouragement, despair, depression. That is the progression of that. And so you want to set in a very attainable goal. You want to be able to do what I call analyze yourself. This should happen at least one time a year. Now, you might want to do it two times a year. But you should no less do this, run yourself through it, what I call a diagnostics. I think we're all familiar with that. If you work with computer or your car throws a code, they got to take it in and let them run a diagnostics. They're going to run a series of tests. If you want to get into the medical field, you want to run some labs every now and again, okay, to find out what chemicals or out of balance, Uh, where is your health, where is your cholesterol, because if things go too long out of balance, you're going to have some problems, right? Well, the same is true in the Christian life. Now, let us pray, and then I will get started in the intro, which I will be explaining to you the seven mile markers in the Christian life. And what you should be looking at, you should be able to see where are you at and where are you headed. Our gracious Father, we come, we thank you now. Lord, help us today. Keep us safe and 
We have those that are with family. They're traveling. This is the holidays. We understand all that. But, Lord, we're here today. And, Lord, I trust that there are people that are watching on the live stream or that will watch that maybe something that I have to say or that the Holy Spirit says through me will help them and encourage them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So my question, are you abounding? Now I want to give you another verse of Scripture, and it's 2 Corinthians 13.5. You do not have to turn there if you don't want to. But I, this is biblical, what I'm getting ready to introduce you to. And you might do this. You might already do this. You'll find if you read many books from successful businessmen or people that are successful, they will give themselves, they will analyze themselves, they will analyze, or they will, the Bible calls it judging yourself or examination. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, examine yourselves. This is the ideal. You need to have a serious conversation with yourself and begin to examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. There it is. You begin to ask yourself a series of questions. That's what it means by the word prove. Uh, 1 John chapter 4 says try the spirits. That's called put it on trial. You need to get into the habit of trying yourself, proving yourself, examining yourselves. Know ye not your own selves? You know yourself the best. You know yourself the best. You know yourself what's really going on up there. You know better than anybody else knows besides God what's going on down here. And that's why he's saying you need to learn how to examine yourself, to prove yourself, whether you be in the faith. Now take that as in not whether you're saved or lost. That could apply. But it has more to do with are you abounding in your Christian walk with the Lord? And he says how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobate. And you say, what's that word reprobate mean? Well, in this instance, it means unprincipled person, undisciplined. It means you're disapproving towards what God has laid out in his word. You're disapproving to it. You're reprobate. I, I don't like that. I don't want that for my Christian life. And you and I need to examine ourselves, prove ourselves. All right. Now, I want the seven mile markers of the Christian life. I don't want to bring these. These here somewhere, you sitting in the pew, should know where you're at as they pop up on the screen. Number one, it starts with salvation. I am dealing with saved people. As far as I know in here this morning... Every person is born again. Now, as I've warned other people, don't, don't just because I say that doesn't make you saved or lost. You know whether you're truly born again or not. But I believe everybody in here is this morning. I, I think so. But this thing starts with repentance. That is the first mile marker in the Christian life. Salvation 
which is repentance. You're going to turn away from the old life and you're going to begin to live the life that God has for you. You're going to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come in your into your house, <laughs> into your heart, and old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That's the first mile marker. You can't even get into living the Christian life. You cannot get into the peace of God and the peace with God. And before you get peace of God, you have to have peace with God. In your natural state lost, you are at enmity with God. That means you're an enemy of. Christ died to reconcile you back to God. He paid your sin debt, but you're going to have to accept it. But then the second mile marker that you should uh, uh, find yourself at pretty quickly would be identity. Remember, the last couple of weeks I've preached on your shape. What is your shape in Christ? Every one of us are uniquely different. We have strengths, we have weaknesses, and we each have different gifts. You need to know your shape. In Christ, what part of the body of Christ do you make up? Are you good at speaking? That might make you a candidate for a teaching class. We're not all pastors or preachers. Are you good at uh, maybe cleaning? Maybe you're a clean freak. Hey, there's a need for that. You get around in this church, and if you're coming to church, you're free to walk around anywhere. There's, there's no off-limits for you. You remember you come here. Uh, there's, there's some rooms. There's, there's a closet back there upstairs that I shoved everything in 10 years ago, shut the door, and never opened it again. I promise you there is nothing in that closet that's any value. It needs to be, it needs to be cleaned out <laughs> with whatever. <laughs> point is that might be your gift that might be your shape you might love to organize and and to clean whatever it is you need to know that but your second is your identity who are you in christ but then you get to the third one this is where you begin your discipleship training and it is called doctrinal foundation you need to know why am i an independent bible believing baptist why do i uh why does my pastor and why does he preach and teach that we Preach and teach out of the AV 1611, the King James Bible, and that only. Why? Why do I have that? Discipleship. There, there is a biblical answer for that. Why, um, do, why do we have church services the way we have them? That's discipleship. That begins to give you your doctrinal foundation. Now, some of you should have already oriented uh, yourselves to where are you in the Christian life? Where are you? At what level are you dealing with? We're not all black belts. We're not all brown belts. Some of us are white belts, and there's no shame in that. Some of us are blue belts. Some of us are yellow belts. Some of us are green belts. There's no shame in that in Christ. Know who you are, but get in and get your doctrinal foundation so you know what the Bible says and that you put your faith and trust in your beliefs and biblical beliefs. But then you get into practical application. That's putting into practice what you have learned. Now, we talked about that a little bit. That's why I got a sign-up sheet there in the back. 
where people, you, depending on what your level you are, and I want you at level seven. You should want you at level seven. Not everybody's at level seven. But at level four, practical application, you begin to put into the practice the things that you have learned. And so something that everybody can do as manual labor. Learn how to serve one another. You say, well, I kind of like a setup career. Oh, I love setup. I love coming in, setting things up, getting it ready, prep work. Then that's for you. But that is a place for you to begin to share your spiritual gift. Remember I said a few weeks back, if you're not working or you have something that you do, you're part of a potential problem in the future. You will find that people that have absolutely nothing to do, they want to sit, soak, and sour. They become very bitter. They become caustic, and it's destructive. And I want to help you with that because we all have a tendency to do that. I am trying to get our children. That is the ideal behind the youth choir. I want to begin to train our children. So I've got them at a level three and a level four. I'm trying to work with them. They're being taught the doctrines of the faith. Number two, they're learning scripture. They're learning about doctrine in in the word of God. But then they're learning songs and they're learning how to worship and how God wants us to worship. And then level four, how to begin to participate and to share that gift To be a giver, not a taker. Now, I understand that not (laughs) when you're dealing with teens, and they might not have realized that that's what I'm trying to do. I am trying to give our youth a heads up on life. We have 40 and 50-year-olds that don't know how to participate all across this nation to share their gifts. They come and they want to be entertained. (laughs) when would you come god is who's watching and we're to be worshiping and praising him he's the audience we're to be participants he said well preacher you won't let me do nothing what do you want to do you want to sing get with me if you got a good voice i don't care if you don't have a good voice if you got a heart you want to sing a little bit all right get with us I'll let you sing, but we're not doing bebop and, and hee-haw and whatever, you know. We got boundaries, rules, limitations, but it's okay. We'll work it out. I'm trying to get our youth to operate right now at that level so when they leave home and they start their families, they already got a head start. I don't think we need to repeat the last 40 years in Christendom in America. I really don't. And yes, not all teens want it. And you got to push them a little bit. And you got to encourage them a little bit. Like, I don't want to have an identity. I don't want to be an example. I don't want to participate. They need to participate. Level four. But then you come to level five. And everybody's going to deal with this. Anybody that is in any type of ministry you're going to deal with a crisis of faith. You're going to have zeal. You're going to be so excited about serving God. Maybe your job is passing out bulletins when people come through the door. And all of a sudden, somebody comes in like, what are you doing? 
and all of a sudden you melt. Well, if that's the attitude, that's called a ministry crisis. When I come to this church 10 years ago, <laughs> I had to deal with the level five ministry crisis. Most of you that have been here with me through all that know and know what I'm referring to. I'm not trying to dig up the past, but that was a ministry crisis. You'll find a lot of pastors will get right there when the honeymoon's over and they find out the deacons don't like them or so-and-so doesn't like them. They get mad. They leave. They try to get rid of you. They get into a ministry crisis and the first thing you want to do is run. Run away. Here's what happens. Wherever you go, the next church you take, God's going to bring you right back to level five. And you're going to stay at level five until you can work through ministry crisis. Now, this helped me because I knew what was going on. It was still hard. But I knew I was going to have to get through that and pass that test. God was working on me to get me through that. That crisis of faith. The enemy opposition. And then you're going to decide, are you going to run away? Or are you going to stay there and keep on for the Lord? A lot of people don't get to that level. But then out of that level comes the mile marker six, responsible leader. This is where your deacons should be picked from. This is where good church leaders come from. You're living out God's perfect will for your life. That means you've not only found your shape, you've not only got your doctrinal foundation, but you have discovered God's grand purpose for your life, just like Mary did. And you're going to begin to operate in that capacity in your local New Testament church. And that's what, where the responsible leaders come from. But then level seven, world vision. Now, I have tried to lead this church to that level. I'm not saying everybody's at that level, but that was the whole ideal behind us, one live streaming and putting our sermons on sermons audio because we're not just focused on Morristown. We're focused on the world now. I want this church to be a beacon of light for the world. Our identity, this is who we are. We love the Lord. Uh, we're Bible believers, but we know that the lost world, not just Morristown, needs Jesus. That's what I'm doing. That's what I've been doing. You that's been with me and you that are here today, you're part of that if you're putting your money in the plate every week, helping to support God's vision that God has given me for this church to keep us at that level. That's the level you should strive to be at. That's when Christ is fully formed in the believer. Sometimes it's a process. Sometimes, as Paul said to the Galatian church, he says, I'm going to have to come back and work on you till Christ be formed again or fully formed in you. They didn't make it through their discipleship and they backslid. They went back to the law. And he says, who's bewitched you? Who has messed you up and got you on a detour? So he got them back and they were able to progress. And so that's our introduction 
And you need to ask yourself, where are you right now this morning in your Christian life compared to that? You say, where, where did you get that? 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, where he says that you need to be adding to your faith. You need to add to your faith. And he talks about adding to the faith virtue. Adding to the faith after that virtue is knowledge. And so on and so forth. We're not gonna, I'm not going to totally break this down. There's verses of Scripture. We couldn't get them all on there. This is the introduction. I want to share with you so you can orient yourself this morning because we're getting into the next phase of the message. Where are you in the Christian life? Why should you be abounding today? You can ask yourself that question. Why should I? Why do I need to abound? If we was to take the time to have read this whole chapter, he gives us five reasons that we need to abound in Christ. Number one, in verses one through three, he says we have a glorious gospel to proclaim. We should be abounding for Christ because we have a duty to tell others about the gospel. Here's where most churches are. They are so goofed up in their lives that they can't even think about ministering to other people. Well, that's a level two Christian. One of the things that I didn't give you there on your identity, your shape in Christ, who you are, that's when the devil comes after you. You've gotten saved, got excited, you got in church. The children of Israel, Moses has led you out of Egypt and you're at the Red Sea and all of a sudden, lo and behold, you look off behind you and there's Pharaoh marching at you with an army. He's the type of the devil. He don't want to let you go. He don't want, he's not going to take you getting saved sitting down. And I will tell you this, there's been more than one Christian confessed to me as soon as they got saved, all hell broke loose in their life. You say, why is that? The devil doesn't want you to ever make it to level three. And he sure doesn't want you to ever get to level four. Where you begin to practice what you've learned to be a blessing to one another in the house of God. He doesn't want that for you. He's going to try to destroy you at level two. Maybe you're there today. Maybe since you've been saved, this has been the worst year, maybe the worst two years of your life. Hang on. Stay with it. People that try to tell you that the Christian life's a bed of roses and it's always awesome and great, they lied. The devil hates you. The devil is looking for every opportunity to get you to hate your spouse, hate your children, and to hate your brothers and sisters in Christ at church. And he's looking for any little opening. And that's why the Bible says, do not give him a place. Don't give him a place. Or he'll, he will exploit that. Number two, 
The reason we should be abounding is the Lord is risen and alive forevermore. Amen. Because we serve a risen Savior, that means we are overcomers. We are not victims. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. We have overcome the world. We've overcome the devil because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If Jesus is in there, you are an overcomer. And because he arose from the dead, you can have victory in your life too. But that doesn't mean there's going to not be a fight. Number three, we shall rise again. If we die this natural, in this natural life before Christ comes back, we will rise again. As soon as we're dead here, we're present with the Lord. But when the Lord comes and that trump sounds, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. Boy, that's some victory there. We should be abounding because the Lord's coming back. Amen? We should be abounding because death, sin, Satan, and hell have been overcome. Amen? We have the victory. He's a preacher. You just don't understand what I'm going through. I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with that. We all have things we deal with. Now, let's see if we can't get you a little help. How can I tell if I'm abounding? You're going to have to begin to examine yourself. Let's start with your personal house. Now, I'm probably going to move just a little bit. If this message really touches your heart, you say, I've never heard anything like that. I need those questions. I will print this out or I will share it with you. This is not secret. This isn't original. This is mine. You can do whatever you want with it. I didn't get this off of sermons.com. You won't find nothing like that on there. And I'm not trying to brag. I'm just saying you won't find nothing like this. This is real ministry. I want to help you in 2022. But before I can help you, you're going to have to diagnose yourself. You don't have to share it with me. You've got three types of people. You have the do-it-yourselfers. I tend to fit in that category. I don't want to go somewhere. I don't, I don't want to go to a pastor and, and just tell him everything's going on. Then he's going to diagnose me and say, okay, you're fat, stupid, don't have any friends. You know, you, you know the drill. We're not all made like that. Uh, sometimes we're do-it-yourselfers. No problem. If that's who you are, you, you identify a weakness, you need to buy a book, or you need to get into that arena and educate yourself so you can do better. Some people are classroom-type people. They don't want to work one-on-one. -on -one. I have noticed that pastoring 10 years. If I try to help somebody, I get them back, I won't hardly take anybody to the office because they think they're going to the principal's office. They, they, they're scared. You have nothing to be afraid of. I'm here to help you, to encourage you, to help you in your Christian walk. But not everybody's for that. So some people are classroom-type people. This is what we're doing today. It's more of a classroom type, and that's fine. Some people are one-on-one. -on -one. They want private lessons. They need that private counsel, and that's where they excel. You need to know that about yourself. What kind of a people are you? You need to know that. You need to know your shape. Number one, let's deal with your personal house. Here's your first question you need to ask yourself. Am I reading my Bible every day? Yes or no? You say, oh, no. Okay. 
cut yourself a little break. Maybe you don't read your Bible on Sunday, but you read it Monday through Saturday. Okay, I'd let that slide. You should be reading it on Sunday, but sometimes I don't. You say, oh, you don't? Well, I'm reading the text. I'm studying my messages. I'm talking about private Bible reading. Are you reading your Bible? Have you this year in 2021, have you read your Bible every day? It should be a check or an X. Number two, did I read the Bible through at least one time this year? Second question, you know I was having fun with this. Have I ever read the Bible through from cover to cover? If you haven't, I encourage you, you need to be doing that. I read the Bible through no less than three times a year. You say, really? Yeah, and I have for years. Some years I get through it more than that. You need the Bible in you. I'm dealing with your personal, what's going on in here. The Bible says, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. You having a sin problem? Get more of this book in you. Say, well, I've never read it through. Then that's something you need to work on in 2022. Three chapters a day should get you through it one time a year. Just three chapters a day. You can Google that. I could be wrong, but I think three chapters a day will get you through it. Have I prayed more this year than last year? How about am I praying every day? Now, some of you that's been here, you know that that was something I worked on this year, haven't you? I said I started a prayer drive this year where every day I get out and I got a little route. I drive the same route every day. I generally buy me a cup of coffee and I go on that route and I talk to the Lord. I pray. Say why? We need a lot of prayer. You need prayer. Talk to the Lord. Do I go to church more this year than last year? I'm, ta I'm talking personally. Are you going and attending more church this year than last year? And be objective with yourself. Say, no, okay, all right. Then you did not abound. Do I have a bad habit that is controlling me? Remember, you know you. Do you have, and drinking coffee is not a bad habit, okay? I would not put that in that category. <laughs> you know. Is it controlling you? Or are you controlling it? It's not about the habit. We don't need bad habits. But is it controlling you or are you controlling it? You need to have that conversation with yourself. And be objective. Number two. Number three, number four, number nine. Is there a weakness in me that needs addressed? You know your weaknesses. I know my weaknesses. Have I been able to minister to others? Can my family see Christ in me? That's your personal house. You should have at least asked yourself those ten questions. To analyze yourself personally for your performance in 2021. Let's get into your intimate house. I got 10 questions there. Number one, am I fulfilling the role God gave me? 
We're Christians. We're saved. If you're a husband, God has a role for you to fulfill. You need to identify that role, define that role biblically, not your opinion, biblically, and then execute that role. Assume it. Have you assumed the role God has given you? Whether you're a husband or a wife or a kid. Kids shouldn't be running the household. Do I communicate well with my spouse? Oh, yeah. Talk to her at least once a week. It's not good. That's not good. That, that would be an X if you do not communicate well. You, I'm helping you diagnose yourself so you know what you need to be working on. So next year, there's been some abounding. And in 10 years or 20 years, you can look back, there's been a lot of growth. You might not see your growth in one year, but you can look back in 10 years. Have I invested more time this year into my marriage relationship? Hopefully you have. Hopefully you have. Am I passive? Now, this is your attitude in the house. Am I passive? Am I passive aggressive? Am I overbearing? Am I tyrannical? Or am I charitably engaged with my family? Only you know that, unless I ask your spouse. And this might, if you're having trouble being honest with yourself, you can ask your spouse. Have I been overbearing this year, sweetheart? By the way, you need another cup of coffee, baby? <laughs> Have you been a tyrant? Or have you been passive-aggressive? How about passive? A lot of times parents adopt this passive attitude with their children. They don't address things they need to address. Now, here's the fifth one. Do I understand the proper relationship structure with my children? Number one, if they are living at home, sorry, Corbin, <laughs> if you're still living at home under the roof, your parents are your primary. They're living at home, primary. Now, if you've got a primary relationship because you've got children still living at home, you are responsible. Your role is a teaching role. Your role is to set boundaries, rules, and limits and corrections. Well, I don't believe in that. Yeah, there's a whole lot of people in America that don't believe in that. That's why we got rioting going on, smashing grabs and all that stuff. Well, my psychologist told me, my little Johnny, he can't handle the word no. He just flips off and, and he just goes off the deep end. Well, I, I know there's a cure for that. And you don't have to go to the pharmacy. There is a cure. Now, don't start that stuff when they get 18. It's too late. It's too late. Now, if you have children that are not living at home, that means you have a secondary relationship. They're not, you're not a primary no more, dads and moms. 
you have what we call a secondary relationship. You're in an, an advisory role. You don't dictate to them how they live their life. They're not under your roof. Sometimes mommies and daddies are so involved, and being involved is not bad, but they become a problem to their married children. Let them alone. You've done your job. You've got your advisory. I, I, don't, I don't call my kids every day and say, okay, now where are you at? What are you doing? What's, what's going on? Did you pay all your bills for the month? I don't really care. You say, oh, that's cruel. No, I can't care about that in mind too. Hopefully I've trained them well enough that they're on top of it. You say, what happens if they aren't? Then that's theirs to experience, not mine. I'm going to meddle just a little bit. Just buckle up. Somewhere in the life of your children, once they get about 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, you should have enough confidence in them that they should be cleaning their own rooms, cooking their own meals, doing their own laundry, providing for themselves. Why is you're having them stretch their wings in a controlled environment? You shouldn't be running. Mommies, you should be taking care of daddy. Okay? You want to slave over somebody? Slave over daddy. Not your 18-year-old, 19-year-old, 20-year-old. Not your 13-year-old. They need to learn. They need to begin to practice. They should know how to do the dishes. They should know how to cook. They should know how to do the laundry. They should know how to sweep a floor. They should know how to mow the grass if they're a boy. Know where to start. Know how to check the gas. Know how to check the oil. Mommy, you're not going to be there for the rest of their life. You need to begin to cut that and allow them to go through that. We all have a lazy streak in us, especially if you're a man, a boy, and we want to be waited on. We want to be served. My mama had a cure for that <laughs> to this day. So I ain't waiting on you. I ain't taking care of you. Once we got a certain age, we were out working the family business. And learning how to fend for ourselves, it won't hurt them. Young ladies are a little different. But you need to understand your role. Do I love my spouse more this year than last year? Need to answer that. <laughs> Did my spouse's primary love language change? It does change. You've heard the phrase, people say, well, we just grew so apart. Why not? Why? Aren't you the same person you were when you got married? Uh-uh. People change. They grow. They go through phases. If you're a husband and wife, you need to be there through every phase. If your, if your spouse's primary love language has changed, you should know it. Do you even know your spouse's love language? Now, this is going to help you. <laughs> if you're a do-it-yourselfer, you say, I have no idea what a love language is. There's a book called The Five Love Languages. Very good book. It's a book that we need to give newlyweds or people that are going through marriage counseling. So they need to learn that. 
a lot of marriages fall apart because the spouse is not speaking to their love language. There's five. Sometimes people have a combination of five. Acts of service is a love language. Words of affirmation. Some people love to be complimented. Physical touch. Gifts. What's the fifth one? Quality time. Do you know your spouse's love language? Do you know your children's primary love language? Children have them too. A lot of times children, especially in their teens, will act out because they're, and this happens a lot to young girls, teenage girls. They begin to act out. All of a sudden they get pregnant and then all of a sudden the family hates them. You want to know what's the main cause for that? Is they needed somebody that would love them and some no good, low down predator knew more about their love language than you did and groomed them. I do a lot of counseling. Children have love languages. Young ladies, they, you, as fathers, you need to learn to, to speak their love language. It could be a gift. It could be quality time. I know some of your all's kids and grandkids as love languages. And I hope you do too. You say, I don't know where to start. If you give someone a gift, you're 40% more, more likely to speak a primary love language. That's why with first-time visitors, it's a good idea to give them a gift their first time coming. Because you've got a 40% shot of speaking to their love language. Sorry, guys, you didn't get a gift. <laughs> We're dropping the ball a little bit. I like giving people a coffee cup on their first, first visit. Make them feel welcome. It's a gift. Now, let me move on. Been a little long. Y'all still with me? Is it good? You thinking? It's got you thinking? That's, I want you to think. I'm not trying to beat on you. I'm not smacking you around this morning. I'm just giving you things to help you as you reflect on this year and prepare you to do better to abound in 2022. Okay, let's get into this corporate house real quick. Am I faithful to attend every service? A check or an X? I, I don't care if it has or you haven't. It's an area that you know you need some work on. It's okay. We, and again, don't set a big goal. Set something small that you know you can accomplish. Number two, am I coming or have I attended more this year than last year? That's a way to chart your progress. So, well, then I'm going to try to make three or four more services this year than I did last year. Amen. That, that's a goal. That's something that you can attain. There's nothing wrong with that. All of a sudden, we look at from zero to 100. It's like me viewing a diet. I got to lose 150 pounds or 100 pounds. I can't do that. If I look at it like that, it ain't happening. You say, what? why? Because it, it, it's, there, <laughs> you can't chart progress. Say, I'm going to lose five pounds. I'm going to lose 10 pounds. I'm going to change my diet. Uh-oh, <laughs> you've probably just identified a weakness in me. I'm going to work on foods that combine this year begin to streamline my diet what i'm eating after the holidays <laughs> why i know i need to work on that <laughs> got to be objective okay let's move on 
Am I actively involved in my church functions? That's why I got a sign-up sheet. I want everybody that's here to be involved in something. There is something you can do. I promise you. There's something you can do. You say, well, I'm not a member. Do you want to be? That's fine. If you're here, you've been, come on, let's do it. Let's not get hung up on the particulars, all right? Let's get involved. Did I give more to God this year than last year? Did I lead someone to Christ this year? Did I disciple a new convert? And our church is going to double. That's our goal for the year. I'm going to need somebody to teach a new discipleship class. My core group, they can't bear to, bear to hear the disciple. I think I've taught it, what, three or four times now? I've got to move on. That means somebody else is going to have to step into that role. Maybe your gift is teaching. Not a problem. Get with me. We'll get you through the discipleship. You can't disciple unless you've been discipled and been trained. But there's something there for you. I want you to progress. Um, did I invite someone new each week to church? Am I coming with the right attitude? Is my presence in church large enough that if I begin to miss, others will immediately be concerned? Let me break that down and we're going to move on. A lot of people complain, well, I've missed a couple of weeks and, and nobody cared. That tells me something. That tells me your presence at church was not very large. And you weren't really missed. Now in a smaller congregation, that's harder to do. Think about it like this. What happens if I missed? And I didn't tell you I was going to be gone. Would my present, would that concern you? Especially if you see my car in the driveway up here at the parsonage. I guarantee you, Brother Dennis and Brother Terry probably be up. What's wrong, Pastor? <laughs> Come on. I don't want to go to church today. You have to. You're the pastor. My point is, is your present large enough that if you missed, that people would notice? Say, I don't know. That's something to work on. Have I been a blessing to anyone new in the church this year? Now, in light of these 30 questions, did you abound this year? Did you identify areas you need to work on? This is how you chart spiritual growth. This is how you chart relationship growth. This is how you avoid becoming a train wreck. Let me end with this. In life, I'm dealing with married couples. When you get married, picture yourself as an airplane on a runway and you're taxiing. You're going down the runway. You're taxiing. I got news for you. Your runway is only so long. And if you can't get your act together, as in charting your progress, you are going to run out of runway and you're going to crash. And you're going to be a, a train wreck, a disaster. You say, how do I avoid that? You begin to examine yourself. 
and begin to ask yourself, you can start with these questions. I just jotted them down because these are the questions I ask myself. Now, I have other questions as a pastor. I examine myself as a pastor. Did I do enough visitation? What is my weakness? How do I sound in the pulpit? Is my spirit overbearing? All pastors can be overbearing. They can be tyrants in the pulpit. Is my spirit offensive? Maybe my content is good. Maybe I'm preaching 100% the truth, but if you got the wrong spirit with it, if you're using it to hurt people, you're not being effective. You've got to be able to see that in yourself. For my pastors and my preachers, just pull up one of your recorded sermons and begin to listen to it. Could you sit through that? 52 weeks out of the year? I will tell you this, 10 years ago, I couldn't stand to listen to myself. Still can't do it. But I've continually worked on things to try to improve. One, the spirit. I'm always on with God about my spirit. Make sure I got a good spirit. A spirit of restoration, a spirit of encouragement, a spirit to edify. Doesn't mean we don't preach on sin and against sin. But make sure you focus on growing grass. That's one of the things I'm working on this year. For a number of years, I focused on killing weeds, killing wolves. There was a need for it. But not now. Not now. Now, as I, as a pastor, I'm going to focus on growing grass, not killing weeds. How about you? Where are you in the Christian life? Where are you? I don't care where you're at. Orient yourself. Find where you're at. And then Lord willing, next year, just this time, you'll be at the next mile marker in your Christian life. Let's all stand this morning.